HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Burlap and Barrel, a public benefit corporation working directly with smallholder spice farmers around the world to source unique, beautiful spices for professional chefs and home cooks. This week on Meat and 3, we're spotlighting the people who prepare our meat before it reaches our plates. We hear from whole animal butchers, the brains behind a meat vending machine, California cattle ranchers, and a master of charcuterie who isn't using meat at all. It's like a smoked and grilled uh, center stock of the broccoli, and then it gets uh, finished with some mustard barbecue sauce and sauerkraut. Ranching and farming being as difficult as it is, you know, it's just one thing after another. And at some point, you just give up. I had a wild idea that if I learned butchery, maybe I could start to be kind of a link in the supply chain. Listen to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to The Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Southern Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Gentlemen. Hey, hey. hey. Uh, another uh, remote recorded uh, Speakeasy episode. Um, some good news on my end and some bad news uh, from the same outlet. Um, you know, the Tales of the Cocktail Awards were finally announced uh, virtually, virtual uh, Tales of the Cocktail this year. And the little bar that could, Amoria Margo, took its first ever Tales Award. We went world's best spirit selection. Now if we could just get opened and be able to share some of that stuff with people, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Uh, you know, let people come inside and actually see it uh, instead of sitting at their tables out on the street. Uh, and then the bad news for us, but I, I, you know, I'm trying to, again, I'm trying to take a page from the, from the Bolte playbook. Bright side <laughs> stuff a little. Uh, Speakeasy Podcast was nominated for its third year in a row for Best Podcast Broadcaster Video Series, and we did not take it. But, you know, I don't even remember who took it three years ago, and we're on the list every year. So people see our name yeah. every year. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how we win, we win the award for being nominated literally every year that it has been an award. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one else can say that. I so. think we should keep the streak going and have them rename it the Susan Lucci Award. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll take it in whatever it was. What, what she? How many times was she nominated? Twenty-one or some nonsense. Oh, uh, man. Something like that, and I hope that's not the case for us. Um, <laughs> you know, we're gonna win it one of these days. Uh, you know, gonna, there are only yeah. so many podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it's the Leonardo out. DiCaprio syndrome, man. Eventually, you get they got <laughs> they got a cave. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to run out of other people to give it to. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, wait, you already have one? Oh, okay, then Speakeasy gets it. <laughs> yeah. Take care. Hey, man, but you know what? It's really a testament of hospitality. You know, take care of everyone else first. Yeah, yeah. That's and right. then then we take care of ourselves. So, yeah, you're welcome, everyone else who's won. Uh, we, <laughs> we did that for you. We made it happen. Yeah, we made it happen. Be sure to tip us. <laughs> Consummate uh, hosts. Uh, Greg, I got to see your face the other day for the first time in months. Uh, you hopped on your bike and you rode over to Amori Margo and had some drinks on the, on the streets of New York city. Uh, really happy to see you. How you been? Yeah, it was great to see you too, man. I've been, I've been good. You and I were talking about this, that like, 
you know, even though we do this every week and, you know, we talk and we're up to date on what's happening with each other's lives, it was super weird because we're sitting there and it's like, I think that this is the first time that we've been face to face or like it's happened maybe four times since Thanksgiving. Like it was right. yeah, super right. weird. Uh, right. Which is, believe it or not, it, that's weirdly coming up. Like Thanksgiving isn't far away. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to, you know, it, it was, I wanted to come over because that's a big deal. You know, it's, it's a well-deserved award. And, you know, you said while you were there, like, yeah, it was weird that, you know, uh, you, you find out you have the award and you don't get to go up on stage and say anything. And I was kind of thinking to myself this morning, it's like, man, if only Souther had some sort of a, some sort of a platform uh, some sort of a maybe perhaps even a weekly one that he could use to address the public with any words yeah. that he might have wanted to say. I mean, I don't want to make it weird or anything, but I also feel a little bit hesitant about saying anything. I haven't really said anything on my own personal social media, but I have on Amori Margos, but only actually once. Um, I still feel like it's the climate is not one of celebration, you know, and, mm. I, and I get it. It's a bright spot. Uh, it's a little bit of uplifting news in a very heavy time. But I feel like it's almost I want to keep it private. Like, OK, they gave me that news and it helped me. But to, to like blast it out there seems kind of, I don't know, almost selfish during this time. You know, I could, I, you know, I, you that's me in my normal playbook of the dark side. Um, <laughs> and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll try and come around and and, you know, get it out there so the masses can see it. But but I was uh, kind of overwhelmed with the flood of, uh, you know, congratulations text messages dms through all the platforms etc it was a little bit crazy honestly i don't normally work on mondays but i had picked up monday for mel who's she jumped off to jamaica because it's her birthday and she hasn't been anywhere since everything went to hell um but uh so i was working when it happened so just my phone just was exploding and it was you know it's pretty pretty gratifying you know to be recognized for such a a prestigious award, you know, world's world's best. Anything is a big deal, you know? So I'm gonna get a neon sign made like the ones you see all up and down Broadway world's best coffee. Uh, I'm going to get one that says exactly that world's best coffee. <laughs> Congratulations. You did it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Damon, how are things in California? Oh man. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, I, I, you know, it's been three years that we've been nominated uh, for this yeah. show. <laughs> for best broadcast, and we haven't won yet. I'd like to and point for, out that I've been on the for, show for three years. <laughs> hmm. Oh wow! Is that it? Is that why we haven't won? Okay. Uh, so uh, no, I was going to say that uh, I think it's very skewed. I mean, if we can't win three years in a row, and then you get best spirits selection, you don't even have a vodka, man. Like, how does that work? <laughs> I only have one bourbon. No, it doesn't work. I don't get it myself. I was very uh, shocked that we got nominated. Um, no, nah, man, you deserve it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, things out here in California are, uh, you know, it's cleared up. It's not, uh, well, at least in San Francisco, it's cleared up uh, smoke-wise and everything. Um, so it's a little bit of sunshine going on. And I just found out that uh, no one told me. I don't I don't read the news too much right now because it depresses me. Sure. Um so I just wait for people to tell me what's going on in the world. Um, but I guess the uh, the travel ban has been lifted from California to New York. Oh, wow. Whoa, rad. All right. That's what my business partner told me yesterday. And um, so, yeah, so I'll be, I'll be swinging by some point soon to congratulate you in person. And, that, is, uh, that is great news. And I, I, you know, just as I was happy to see Greg's face in person, I'd be just as happy to see you. It's been far too long. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, we hung out at least once a week for so long. And then now I haven't have seen you. I don't even remember the last time I saw you. I haven't been to New York this entire year. Yeah. Insane. Weird. In all of 2020. It's crazy. I miss my bar. I miss you guys. I miss everyone. Uh, I miss the city. But um, yeah, things are, things are just, you know, it, it's kind of, it's interesting to, to think of this too, uh, just as far as kind of like a silver line. I'm the silver lining guy around here, I guess. Um <laughs> You know, like I've been saying on this show and just around the industry that, you know, for for months, over six months now, not just the bar industry, but, you know, the 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 spirits and wine and beer industry, you know, like the the on the sales side and distribution side, too, and production side, you know, they're they're hurting as well because they don't have an outlet or they don't have as many outlets as they did before. Right. So. 
Um, so I was, I'd been saying a lot on the show that, you know, it's not really necessarily about like, right now we're not talking about, uh, what we're going to put on our fall cocktail menu. It's more about just survival. Right. But I'm happy to say that, you know, me and the team at Grand Army, we've been working on the fall menu. So that's been really fun. So uh, there's these little bits of, uh, you know, positive little nuggets that are popping up here and there. So really nice. It's nice to like get back to workshopping cocktails for a menu for a themed menu, uh, again. So it kind of restores a little bit more of what we thought of as normal. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah, for sure. Don't get me wrong. We've made a shit ton of spicy margaritas to go, you know, over the past six months. And that's great. But, uh, but it's nice to get back in, you know, in the R and D mode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're trying to start doing a little bit of that as well. Um, you know, Robbie's, uh, foolhardy and brave enough to be opening a new place during this stuff. So I'm working on some cocktails for that space. Um, yeah, there's, it does feel you're right. Uh, comforting or uh, like home centering, I guess is the word to, to, to be able to get back to the work that we've kind of stepped away from for, you know, seven. Oh months man. Now. It's like, it's insane. Yeah, totally. And you know, it's, it's, you kind of nailed the, the, uh, the, the sentiment actually, because, um, you know, we've always done different themed menus seasonally for our cocktails at Grand Army. And this one's really based on comfort. I don't know if it's, like guilty pleasures or if it's just straight up old folks, but it's like, we're doing a, <laughs> we've got a frozen drinks machine and, you know, we're doing a, a frozen uh, pumpkin spice latte cocktail and we're doing a, a Werther's original old fashioned and like just a bunch of stuff. that's like guilty pleasure, like kind of like old and comforting. Um, so yeah, I think that's what it's all about right now. That's just the times, man. Getting back that's to what, feeling it's what the people want. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Greg, who we got hanging out with us today? Uh, well, today we have a very nice guest joining us. Uh, she is the founder of the Women's Cocktail Collective. She's worked all over the spirits industry, and she's now a spirits producer herself. She uh, runs Pomp and Whimsy. But, uh, let me try that again. Pomp and Whimsy, which is a awesome gin liqueur. Uh, please welcome Dr. Nicola Nice. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of welcome. course. So yeah, how have what have what have what have you been up to during this whole? We were kind of just spitballing about, you know, uh, this is the time for for you know, people want creature comforts, people want to you know grab at those little fireflies of normalcy that are out there. What have what have you been up to during this whole crazy crappy time? Oh wow, well, that's a big question. Uh, <laughs> in 10 seconds or less yeah, oh, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> well I mean I think all of us you know obviously just sort of listening to the conversation and you know as you say being part of the industry I don't think any of us this year have been dealt the cards that we wanted right um, but I think that the the other thing is that you know if you don't keep playing your hand um, then you can't stay in the game right so Ooh. you know it's been a combination of us of just pivoting and you know, hustling and, and, and trying to turn the business around and make new opportunities. Um, that's on the business side. And on the personal side, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I learned to make a pretty damn good sourdough in the last few months. <laughs> I totally jumped on that bandwagon. And um, now my kids are so spoiled that they will not eat any other kind of bread. So um, <laughs> I kind of set myself up for future failure, I think. As a yeah, you, you build your own monsters, right? Right, uh, exactly. I'm just curious, why is it that specifically the making of sourdough bread became the big thing? You know, why didn't people go like, yeah, I learned how to break down and rebuild a carburetor? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with, um, I think. The process, that, right? Yeah, the process. I think that it is comforting. Um, I think that it is something you feel that you can have control over. It's something that takes some time to do. Um, and it's not usually something that you would normally have time to do. So I think in trying to sort of find some of the silver linings in this whole period, I think a lot of people yeah. have been looking internally um, and going back I, to basics. 
See, there's been two different camps this whole time as far as breads go. There's the banana bread camp, and there's the sourdough bread camp. Oh, I've done both. <laughs> and, yeah, well, I, I, I ruined my sourdough starter. Uh, you know, and it, it's really telling of the fact that I'm a bartender and not a distiller. You know, like, I take the products that are there and fresh and, like, ready to go and make it. It's instantly gratifying and delicious. If it, it takes a lot longer than that, you know, I, I'm going to run it, and uh, I'll lose focus. And that's exactly what happened. So uh, kudos to you. (laughs) I think the other thing in terms of sort of needs must uh, was the fact that there was a yeast shortage. And so, you know, I mean, if you were making bread in a bread machine or any other way before, um, that was no longer possible. So we had to look to our environment to create the yeast. Um, But it's funny because after making sourdough, I then went on to start making vinegar because I'm like, oh, I've got all of the cool yeast in the air that's growing naturally and some leftover wine and um, let's see if we can make a good vinegar too so what is, what is this leftover wine yeah <laughs> i've never heard of what it. language are you speaking is that a brand is that a brand i've never heard of <laughs> uh, so dr nice yes. um you uh, uh run a run a research firm called think conservatory uh talk to us about what you do at think and what think it's all in capitals in my notes so i assume that's an acronym what's that mean Oh, yes. Um, so I'm a, I'm a sociologist by training. So I've really spent the last 20 years in the field of consumer insights and brand strategy. Um, and really what I am is an obsessive when it comes to observing human behavior. So I love to observe human behavior and behavioral norms on a micro level, right? So this sort of informs and influences how we interact with products and I at the same time I love to observe cultural and societal norms which influences how we engage and interact with brands so putting those two obsessions together for the last 13 years into agency form I've made my living basically going around the country and going around the world working with fortune 500 companies to help them better understand their audiences position their brands more effectively and innovate and create new brands. And so that's really what I do at Think Conservatory. Um, And about 50% of my work has always been in the spirits industry. So from the spirits and cocktail point of view, I am a student of the anthropology of the cocktail. I mean, I think that, that that's, that's fascinating. Everything you just said is fascinating. I think in a small way, maybe Damon and Greg will agree or disagree with me right now, uh, I think that's part of why or, or, or part of what drives me to be behind the bar. I'm always observing the human condition. I'm yeah. always you know, watching how people interact with my space, with the products that I'm serving them, with the people around them, with me. Uh, like uh, this, this sparks a lot of interest in me. Yeah. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out leftover wine. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so and you, when you in doing all this, you discovered uh, that, that a lot of spirit producers, especially, systematically ignore or misrepresent their female audiences, mm-hmm. and that's what's kind of spurred you into the next stage of your your career, right? That's right. Yeah. So you know, when I wasn't doing um, spirits work, spirits consulting work, I was spending a lot of time in what I would describe as fairly female driven industries. So fashion, beauty, personal care. And one of the things that always struck me as I would kind of pivot between these two different spaces was, you know, working in the area of personal care, I I worked on the launch of Dove for Men in the US, for example. And he was a, a brand that was bending over backwards to show men who arguably are, let's just say, not as engaged in personal care and beauty as as women. I think we can all say that safely. And yet here was an industry that was bending over backwards to tell men, you know, you, of course, have your own needs. Of course, your skin is different. Of course, we need to take a shower (laughs) once a week, at least every other day. (laughs) That's my rule. Of course, we don't expect you to just use your wife's products. Um, We don't expect you to to use Estee Lauder. You deserve your own brands and you deserve your own experiences and you deserve to be spoken to in an authentic and relatable way. And then I would sort of pivot over to spirits and I'd be like, wait, this is a category that women are really engaged with, right? So we know that 
percent of household spending on alcohol is driven by women. And we know that one in three female drinkers Whoa. actually prefers spirits and cocktails over wine or beer. And that's compared to one in four male drinkers. What? And so clearly it is a category that women are really engaged in. And yet when you look at the brand and marketing landscape of spirits, we are completely underrepresented and where we are represented sort of talked down to in a very one-dimensional way so making spirits about you know being about diet or being about sexiness or pink and sparkliness or whatever you want to call it and this to me as a woman this was something that bothered me naturally um as a researcher it was something that intrigued me you know it's like oh is there some kind of unwritten law I don't know about here that you can't market spirits to women you know and whenever <laughs> I whenever I hear a norm like that I always want to know where does this come from and you know can we break it down uh, and then as an entrepreneur I was like seems to me that there's crap ton of money being left on the table from not taking women seriously here there you so. go the business side that's what gets me too I want to know how everybody interacts with everything so that I can make it so that they'll feel happy to leave me their money and right. and, and recommend that their friends come and do the same yeah, <laughs> that's the goal. Uh, that's fascinating stuff. Listen, we should take a break real fast and hear from our sponsors. We're going to come back and keep talking to Dr. Nice about, uh, well, we're going to talk about some gin when we come back. So stay tuned, everybody. I'm Ethan Frisch, co-host of Why Food and co-founder of Burlap and Barrel, a public benefit corporation working directly with smallholder spice farmers around the world to source unique, beautiful spices for professional chefs and home cooks. We set our partner farmers up to export their own crops for the first time, and they get access to a whole new market here in the U.S., and we get access to spices that other companies can't source. We're honored to work with restaurants including 11 Madison Park, Blue Hill, and Chez Panisse, as well as thousands of home cooks across the country. Visit us at burlapandbarrel.com. And we are back. You are listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Nicola Nice, and we were talking about uh, how a lot of brands are leaving money on the table when they kind of eschew 51% uh, of the global market. You know, a lot of spirits are traditionally, you know, like just default to men. And it was just, and you were remarking before the break that it was, weird that there are some brands that just you know will put out will either not put out products uh for like you know that are that are uh, designed to be for women or they will and it'll just be this kind of weird sort of half-assed thing and we were talking a little bit um during the break about a particular uh thing that happened to you damon when you were traveling and you found a, a very peculiar gin in italy Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was in Florence a couple of years ago, I guess. And, um, I was at my, one of my favorite spirit shops in the world, uh, called Inateca Alessi. My friend Antonella owns it. She, her family's owned it forever. Anyway, we were, you know, I was going around the shop, finding all this cool, like Amari and, and vermouth and things that we can't get back here. And I was in the gin section cause I was with Brooklyn gin at the time. And that's why I was there. And, uh, I saw this bottle of, uh, of gin that was a, a pink gin. And I was like, this is cool. It's, it's one of the largest gin companies out there. Uh, and I was like, pink gin, this is awesome. Like, I can't believe they started bottling this. This is right at the time where people were starting to like, uh, bottle like Negronis and, and, and other classic cocktails. And so I see this pink gin. I'm like, Oh, cool. I got to get this. Cause we can't get this in the States. And she was like, no, you don't want that. I'm like, why don't I want it? And she's like, well, that's for girls. And I'm like, you're a woman like what are you saying and she's like that's not the pink gin you're thinking of you know me being a cocktail nerd i'm thinking oh it's gin with a bunch of bitters in it but it was uh just a bunch of uh fruit flavored and and labeled as a pink gin it was actually called pink gin that's what was very confusing about it as far as like the you know as far as thinking of this very classic gin company that's been around forever and for the classic cocktail albeit very obscure um yeah it was just kind of weird uh, that that was, you know, even even she was like, no, this is not this is not for you. <laughs> this is not marketed right. towards you. Right, and that's exactly what what Nicola was saying, right? Like this is uh, an obvious missed opportunity. Talk talk a little bit about that, Nicola. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that when you look at some of the examples of where the spirits industry has attempted to talk to women, and there are some very recent examples um, that, you know, I'm sure we can all think of a name, even though we can probably only count them on one hand. <laughs> but still, I think when you look at those examples, the one thing that they, they have in common is that they tend to talk to women because we're women, not as women, right? So because you're a woman, you like pink. Because you're a woman, you want low ABV and low calorie. Because you're a woman, you drink spa drinks. Because you're a woman, you feel that you can't go into the, you know, the boys-only club of whiskey, so you have to have your own name in order for you to feel comfortable. Instead of talking to us as women and understanding how we drink and when we drink and why we drink and how we want to feel and how we are the natural entertainers and, and you know chief mixologists of the home most of the time and, and speaking to those occasions and needs instead of reducing us to one single denominator. Well, right. Well, even the statistic that you said about um, how many women versus men prefer spirits and cocktails over beer and wine, that, that shocked me. I, 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 I was plainly shocked to hear that. What was it again? Uh, one in three women prefer spirits and cocktails um, over wine and beer. Versus one in four men, right? That's right. <laughs> that, that just bowls me over, frankly. Right, because you're, you're used to the societal norm that says that women like wine and men like beer. And I've been programmed. Let's actually let's actually look at the data, right? Because the data tells you something different. Right. And, and oftentimes you, you get a surprise. Like I feel very surprised by that. Well, let's talk about stuff you're doing now. Uh, and speaking of spirits and speaking of women, uh, you're making a spirit and you're a woman. So mm. pomp and whimsy. That qualifies me. Yeah. You're, <laughs> <laughs> auto, auto qualification. Um, talk about pomp and whimsy. Um, I know a little bit about it. I've seen a couple of bottles about, but I don't know enough. So fill me yeah. in. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think that it's a nice segue from the pink gin, um, because, you know, if you go back in time, uh, back, you know, let's just say around 150 years in the history of gin, we all know that there were very many styles of gin around at the time. And we also know that the way people drank gin was different from how we drink it now, right? So we, we generally understand that people were adding sugar and bitters to their gin. Um, they often drinking it in the morning, there was a belief that the gastrointestinal benefits of the juniper and of the bitters would help with the rich diet that Victorians had every day, um, and that they had a sweet tooth, and that when they weren't mixing their own old fashions, if you like, um, they were buying what we might now call ready prepared or ready to drink gin cordials um, from retailers. And these were, every retailer would have their own blend. And these were gins that had been cut in proof and they'd been infused and flavored and, and sweetened of varying qualities and styles. And what we know about these cordials is that they were extremely popular with women. Uh, so women were serving them at their social gatherings, their afternoon tea parties, their ladies' luncheons, what we could call the precursor to the cocktail party. They were also creating their own beverage recipes. They were writing those down. They were passing them on from mother to daughter. And as we know, back in the day, the nickname for gin was Mother Gin. So I kind of felt like there is a history in the spirit with women that we need to honor and we need to pay tribute to. But at the same time, I wanted to, I set out to recreate um, for a modern palette what the modern gin cordial might look like and taste like. So that was really the inspiration behind starting Pomp and Whimsy. And it has this, we have this dual mission and one is to you know, bring back the gin cordial style of gin and, and, and update it and integrate it into modern mixology and, and cocktails as we drink them today. Um, but in so doing, pay tribute to the role that women have played in the history of the spirit and, and try to write them back into that story. I mean, yeah, that's something that, I've actually been doing a little bit of uh, I research on for an upcoming episode of of uh, Bar None uh, that is going to be part of our third season. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I I was inspired to work on this episode because of something that uh, I interviewed a husband and wife distilling team mm -hmm. um, many years ago for the first season of our show. And the wife was joking that, you know, back when distilling was considered, you know, uncool manual labor, 
it was mostly women that were doing it in the United States. But right. as soon as it became like cool and fashionable and artisanal, all of a sudden it swings the other way and it very much becomes like, uh, you know, a, a man's world. I'm thinking of that. I think it was like Wild Turkey or something like that. That ad with like Matthew McConaughey and like a leather jacket you could practically smell through the TV walking down a street at like four in the morning with a bottle of whiskey. And like, you know who that product is for by looking at that. So, you know, it's it's I want to hear you talk a little bit more because one of the missions that you're sort of working on is writing women back into cocktail history Mm -hmm. uh, when they've sort of been pushed to the side after this became, again, major air quotes here, cool. So can can you give us any sort of uh, like a particular favorite story or a particular example of someone you found that you have sort of tried to bring back into the limelight? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, this is, I'm obsessed with this subject. And, you know, if I wasn't running a startup, (laughs) I would be writing a book on my iPhone or elsewhere if I, if I could. And and I think that there are several. Not recommended. (laughs) (laughs) Several books here that need to be written. But, you know, as I, as I said, as, as a kind of, I consider myself to be a student of the cocktail, not an expert in it. Right. But as I, um, have researched more and more into the history of the cocktail. And again, it's, it's sort of starting from this, um, this dissonance, right, between this idea of women are not, you know, um, there's a norm that says that women don't really drink spirits and cocktails and don't distill, as you just said. And yet there's a reality, which is that we do. And I you know you go to any party in the home where there is some sort of signature cocktail, nine times out of 10, it's going to have been created by the hostess of the event. Um, and so, you know, I was like, well, this must have come from somewhere. And, you know, if I, if I, I started to sort of read and study about you know, the history of the cocktail as it's been written right now, and every time I would turn the pages of these books and I'd be like, where are the women in this story, right? So, you know, I get that going back into, you know, the mid-19th century and the way that Victorians lived and the way that they considered the relationships between the sexes, you know, that that men occupied public life, right? And public life was what was documented. And cocktails in public were being drink, drunk and consumed in bars where women were not allowed. So you go back and you sort of, you know, you read about, you know, obviously everything from Jerry Thomas onwards. And it's kind of been this sort of legacy of bartending that's been passed down through, really through through male generations. And yet you would have to ask yourself the question, well, where did he get his recipes, right? And who who might have influenced him and what might have he been drinking at home? And you know, what I discovered was that in terms of levels of influence, right, in terms of people who were writing about, let's just call them mixed alcoholic beverages for the sake of argument, right? But about serving uh, mixed alcoholic beverages, who had the most influence? This became a question to me, right? Was it him? Like, I think we can all say that his legacy has been incredibly influential, but at the time, who would have had the most influence in terms of, you know, the number of books that were being published and who was reading them? And what you discover is that if you think outside the box a little bit and you think outside the bar, and instead of thinking about, you know, what were the, what were the books that were influencing bartenders and what was happening in the professional world what was happening in the private world which was not as well documented but actually there is a huge body of literature written by women um, primarily around housekeeping um, cookery etiquette um, household management and, and entertaining and so on and in these books you will find many drink recipes you will also find recipes for distilled spirits you'll find recipes for liqueurs Um, and you see that the way that women are thinking about liquor in the home is broader right so take take a liqueur for example or a cordial they they serve three purposes in the home so first of all they were a way to preserve seasonal ingredients Right. So, you know, pre-refrigeration, of course, you have to be able to make use of what's in season and make it last. Secondly, um, they were used as household medicines and and, um, health tonics. So, for example, you'll see you'll see reference in these books to um, I think it was uh, Eliza Acton who had a recipe for a blackberry cordial. 
And she, she notes that not only does this taste good, but it's actually a pretty good remedy for diarrhea, right? So this is the way <laughs> women are kind of thinking about oh, it. Delicious <laughs> and practical. <laughs> and then, of course, there is the entertaining element of it, too. So just to kind of put this into numbers, since this was, you know, I think this is kind of where we were coming from here. Jerry Thomas sold 8,000 copies of his book in the first edition. Um, Isabella Beaton, who was probably the most successful and prolific um, household management writer, she was a, um, a British writer, but her books were, uh, were sold internationally. She sold over 2 million copies in the same time period, right? So the only book that outsold Isabella Beaton was the Bible. So this is Kardashian huh. level of influence, right? When you think about, you know, who's reading this and who's being inspired by it and who's using the recipes and replicating them. So this was just, you know, this was something that like, to me, I feel like we need to give women more credit for the impact that they've had. But I think even what you just outlined for us describes that there's a distinct possibility that uh, say Jerry Thomas or Dave Embry or some of these guys who, who wrote some books they were getting maybe their ideas from being in homes at cocktail parties, then translating those into their business, of course, then transcribing that into books that weren't selling nearly as much because who would be buying these except for maybe other bartenders, right? Yes. Yeah. That's well, fascinating to me. So yeah. you know, for, for, for all intents and purposes, maybe Jerry Thomas was completely influenced by that, that book that sold 2 million copies right. or, or, or yeah. that style of book or that style of, you know, broader thinking as you said like you know yeah. the 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 homemaker was thinking about uh the glassware and the presentation mm -hmm. and possibly garnishing and like all those things where you know at the bar maybe we were just thinking in the earlier days just get it in get it in the glass and slide it across the bar yeah it's just a collaboration like a, a collection of recipes i mean when you look at like charles h baker's books they're successful you like reading them because they're entertaining it's mm -hmm. about more than than what's just in the glass you know right and I think that, you know, with any cocktail book, that's just part of, of a much larger run of show of hosting people. And yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And if you cool. sort of look at like the, you know, the anthropology of the cocktail in the home, you know, things like glassware, things like the punch bowl, um, things like, um, you know, uh, ceramics and so on, serveware, this was all passed on to the daughter of the house. It was something that was given on the wedding day to the wife. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, it's, Ooh. it's very powerful that, that, that women were the ones filling the bowl. I love this. Yeah, um, I, yeah, this is fascinating. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, it just makes me think of like, <laughs> Actually, like going back to like your, as far as like being a host and like sharing not only these drinks and food and and entertainment and all the stuff, like all the stories and like kind of like cultural goings on of the time. I mean, like even looking at your website, I mean, I kind of want to like talk about this for a second. Like you have on here what's called the Kindred Spirit Society, and it's cocktail stories and other lovelies is what it says, and it's it's kind of like it kind of mirrors or echoes what you were just talking about as far as like taking that element of being a host and entertaining and communicating and generally, you know, sharing moments together and putting it in here on the website. Um, so there's all these great stories about cocktails and about women in the industry, but not only in the industry, there's all this great, history there's also well there's a signature cocktail for Kamala Harris and then there's who was Pearl Mesta there's like some really cool stuff on this website um and Souther I don't know if you have your your inbox handy but I just sent you on the website there's a a cocktail gram section and you can send people cocktail recipes I based saw on that a little questionnaire yeah I so saw I that. sent you a cocktail just now sorry Greg I didn't want to type <laughs> oh, too much I, I, <laughs> I'll, I'll get you I'll get you after the show. Um, I didn't want to be typing a bunch and having it come through. Um, but yeah, I, I just, this is great. I mean, you can tell that like you've done a lot of marketing research because you've put together a really cool 
package is bigger than the just the package, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's very cool. Thank you. Yeah. It is it is a gorgeous website. So I want to I know we're, we're approaching the end here. I want to talk about two things um, as quickly as we can. I want to talk we talked about pomp and whimsy, you know, kind of how you came to it. Let's talk about what it tastes like and and how you how you serve and drink it. And then I definitely don't want to leave here without talking about the women's cocktail collective as well. So let's talk about the let's talk about the juice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the best way, just from a profile point of view, to describe pomp and whimsy to someone who's never had it is as if Hendrix and St. Germain had a baby. Now, there's no elderflower in Pomp and Whimsy. There's no rose. There's, you know, it's not the same ingredients, but it's this idea that it is a, it is a gin liqueur, right? So that, that's intentional. It's on purpose. It is this gin cordial concept that's been updated. Um, it, it functions both as a gin and as a liqueur. It's probably one of the most versatile spirits you will ever try. Um, and it's also, of course, incredibly delicious straight as was originally intended with the cordials um so just to kind of give you a little bit of the sort of conceptual background as how we went how i went about creating the flavor profile for this and then i can tell you about exactly what's in it um, and how to use it um going back to this sort of market research idea right of just sort of recognizing that hey it seems that as women, we're kind of tired of being told what to like, right? So we're, we're kind of tired of being told you like flavored vodka or you like pink or you like diet because you're a woman, right? And instead asking, this, asking them this question of, well, what's missing? What's missing from what you're drinking at the moment? And describe that idea to me. This is how I started Pomp and Whimsy. So I went around the country and I interviewed hundreds of women and bartenders and had them describe to me their idea of an ideal spirit. And I, the, this picture started to emerge of, and I was specifically in the white spirit space, right? So I'd already, I knew that I wanted to be in that white spirit area. Um, obviously I had a personal um, love of gin, especially, but in the beginning, it was really just kind of asking women to describe this ideal spirit to them. And they started to describe to me a, a neutral spirit that had been lightly infused with botanicals that was that they could sip straight a frustration with flavored vodkas was they weren't good straight um that they could top lightly with bubbles that was possibly a bit lower in abv because yes it is important to stay in control um, and be responsible and you know they, they just kind of went on with this idea of the sort of botanically infused spirit and every time i would stop them at this point and say okay you know what you're describing is basically gin, right? So, you know, <laughs> take a neutral spirit base and infuse it with botanicals. That's what gin is. And they would say, but I don't like gin. Gin is I, I was just about to, yeah, I was just about to bring that up. I, 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 feel like, right. I feel like gin is so polarizing. It's so polarizing. And people always have a reason, right? So it's like, you know, that's my uncle's drink. It tastes like Christmas trees. I've had a bad experience with it in college. I don't like tonic etc. Um, and I realized that, you know, in psychology terms, what was going on was a cognitive dissonance in this country, at least very different in the UK. In this country, cognitive dissonance between what gin sounds like as an idea when you just describe it to people in its essence, and then what it tastes like. If you just describe the idea, and then you tasted it, it, it would not be what you expected it to be. So I wanted to create what I thought people had in mind when I described the idea of gin to them. So that was the starting point. And then, of course, you know, kind of marrying that with this um, cordial idea. So what we have is a traditional gin um, that, you know, we make the gin from scratch. The, the gin base is itself fairly traditional um, dry profile. So it's going to have most of the traditional gin botanicals that you're used to, like, of course, juniper, but angelica, fennel, coriander, um, you know, lots of different citrus peels. Um, we make that base first, and then we infuse that base um, with, that's the pomp, right? So that's the traditional part. And then we infuse it with <laughs> the whimsy, with the loveliness, with the mod modernity. Um, and that um, those are exotic fruits um, like lychee and melon. Um, there's raspberry in there. There's um, jasmine. There's lavender um, and, and a ton more citrus. And then it's very lightly sweetened with cane sugar, organic cane sugar, and it's bottled at uh, 60 proof. So it's low sugar. It's, it's lower ABV than you know, most dry gins. 
Um, and it's 100% natural and made from real food because that was another thing that frustrated me about what I saw in the spirits industry um, was that pink gin <laughs> gets its pink color, <laughs> not from strawberry, but from red 40. Um, and we as consumers uh, are none the wiser. Um, and, and this was something that bothered me as well. I mean, sounds fantastic. Uh, again, I've seen a few bottles around. I don't know that I've had it or if I have, I've, I've, I've lost uh, my tasting. We need to it. fix that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, world's best spirits list and all that. Um, <laughs> and all that. Loud? Yes, it's, it's not a vodka. Yeah, 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 that's that's kind of the rule. Um, yeah, it's a botanical cool. spirit, so yeah, it, it fits into your... Uh, your that's right up my alley, right? Yeah. Um, sounds delightful, and I'll get a hold of some ASAP. Uh, but in the meantime, talk a little bit briefly about uh, the Women's Cocktail, Women's Cocktail Collective uh, as we wrap up. Yeah. So, um, you know, my whole personal mission and, you know, what I'm trying to use Pomp and Whimsy as my vehicle for um, is all about this idea of giving women back their rightful place, right? So I've talked about rightful place in the history of gin and the cocktail, but I also think we have a rightful place on the back bar um, as well as, you know, taking women seriously as consumers and chief entertainers. So bringing diversity to the back bar is like a, a big passion point of mine. And I realized that, you know, as we went into to talk to bartenders about what they knew about who was making their spirits and, and what they knew about their customers and what the kinds of things that the customers are interested in. I recognize that there was a lot of interest and support for female spirit makers in the industry. But what I also re recognized was that there wasn't a lot of knowledge as to know how to access that, right? It's not like it's on the bottle, right? Who distilled this or... So there was this there's interest and a desire to make the back bar, more, back bar more diverse, but not really knowing how to do it. So basically, you know, I thought, well, how about we bring the mountain to Mohammed and make it really easy for you and create a collective that is of really amazing female founders and spirits makers who can come together and create a, a platform for delivering this diversity um, at the same time as creating a, a network to help other women get into the industry and bring even more innovation to it. I mean, that's outstanding. I'm so happy to know that that exists. Uh, what, 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 how do people get involved with this, uh, with this organization? So um, you can go to our website, um, womenscocktailcollective.com uh, or to our Instagram, and you can find out a little bit about the current members. I think we're up to about 25 at the moment um, and, you know, more joining all the time. It's certainly not the universe of, of female spirits makers, but if you are a female spirits maker, um, or you want to become one or an entrepreneur, um, reach out to us, reach out to me. Um, I always take the call <laughs> and I, <laughs> you know, I have a lot of um, battle scars that I will happily show you and hope that you don't make some of the same mistakes um, that I've made. Um, and, you know, if, if you're a, a female spirits maker and you don't want to be a part of the collective, but you just want to network, um, then I, I would love to meet you. I mean, I think uh, you know, a good friend of our of our show, Jessica Lee Graves, down in Texas, uh, who makes absinthe I, and and a couple of other things. I think she should be involved in this right away. Hundred percent, yeah. Yeah, I was when I was looking at your website, I was like, I made a, the first thing that I thought was like, I need to let Jess know about this, which yeah. I guess because she listens to the show, we just did. So there we go. Yeah, so Jess, done, get on, done. Jess, get on that. Um, <laughs> Dr. Nice, so uh, nice to have you on with us today. Um, do you have an Instagram for Pomp and Whimsy or for yourself that you'd like, or, or any other so social media outlets you'd like to promote right now so that people can get in touch with you if they have any questions or they want to follow up or if they just want to get a delicious bottle of Pomp and Whimsy? How do they, how do they find you? Absolutely. Yes, please do follow us on um, at Pomp and Whimsy on Instagram. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that you went to the website and you found the Kindred Spirit Society. This is a very new magazine for us where we want to kind of bring all of these stories of women um, as well as obviously give inspiration to the modern host and hostess um, and that's really what our Instagram feed is all about as well um, so a little bit of education sprinkled in with some inspiration and some entertainment and of course beautiful cocktails yeah outstanding and I Damon I already got my cocktail gram thanks so much that's yeah, pretty man. cool that's pretty cool right. feature you've got there 
Yeah. That's great. Send some cocktail grams, please. Yeah. So much fun. Uh, I, I was going to say, I, you know, I just love doing this show because we get to, we get to have these conversations with the best people in the world. And this is one of my favorite episodes to date. Uh, I'm not just saying that this has been a lot of fun. Uh, oh, it's you too, man. It's <laughs> not because of you. <laughs> Nicola, this has been so much fun talking with you about this. The website's so much fun. Um, a lot of cool stuff on here. Uh, I love the cocktail grant, but then the Kindred Spirit Society is really cool too. So everyone check that out. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's pop and whimsy, A-N-D, whimsy.com for the website when you go check it out. Pop and Thank whimsy. you so much for having me. I really Thank you for being it. on the show. Such a delight. Thank you so much. Yeah, I can't wait to try it. This is going to be, you know, I know you guys are about to go into the fall season, but, uh, you know, out here in California, it's summer all the time. And like, this is like, making me so thirsty just looking at the website and I just want to be sitting outside drinking this like in a spritz or something. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, one of the crazy Very things cool. about it is that you can make all five of the most popular U.S. cocktails more lovely with pomp and whimsy. So think margarita, think mule, think mimosa or spritz, think martini, think old fashioned. Mm, yeah, definitely. Ooh. Love a gin old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Think about this Very margarita. cool. <laughs> keep summer alive yeah, margaritas, margaritas <laughs> on the brain uh, Damon take us out yeah well I want to thank you again Nicola this has been so much fun having you on the show everyone check out poppinwhimsy.com uh, and on other platforms as well um, and check out Heritage Radio Network click on the beating heart to donate to the station and till next time we clink glasses cheers everyone Hey, cheers, cheers, everybody. Thanks so much. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues. That's him. It's gonna get you some in the The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.